0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. Between a soybean field harvest in November and to planting soybeans in May, it could be hard to find a useful crop in that short season. But that quick turnaround from harvest to planting could have been hard unless it was planned. So, farmers might be wondering if anything can be planted in early spring. Spring oats or spring wheat might be a good answer, It can not only provide high-quality livestock forage, but can also help protect the soil from the heavy spring rains. It can even provide some weed control. There are still a couple of months away from the suggested planting dates for spring oats or spring wheat in southeast Kansas at around February 20th to March 15th. But either can be planted earlier if the field is dry enough. Technically, there are spring oat and wheat varieties that can be planted for grain production, but honestly, I don't suggest it. Spring wheat is harvested, on average, a week after winter wheat. This could push soybean planting into late June. Also, the yields are about half of winter wheat. We just don't have cool enough temperatures for long enough to get the spring wheat or oat yields like they do farther north. It does, however, make for high-quality hay or forage. The oats need to be around 6 inches tall with a good rooting system before cattle can be turned out. There will likely only be 45 to 60 days of grazing available, but the stocking rates can be high, at nearly 1 to one 1.5, 750 lb. stockers per acre. Be sure to watch out for bloat and supply some magnesium mineral due to risk of grat tetany. The forage can be hayed, and this is best done at the late milk to early dough stage, and if hayed, it is suggested to do a nitrate-level test. The amount of forage produced by spring oats planted in February could get 3 to 4 tons in a mild spring. If the oats are not grazed or hayed, then the residue, once it is terminated, can act as weed control mulch for the summer crops in a no-till situation. Much like a rye cover crop, soybeans can be planted into a green standing spring oats. However, it won't be a thick mat like rye could turn into. The planting depth for oats is 12 to 1 inch. Wheat a little deeper at 1 inch is ideal. Spring oats or wheat are going to be hayed need to be fertilizer with about 70 pounds of nitrogen per plant or top dress to increase growth speed or improve protein. Higher nitrogen rates are possible for fields that are going to be crazed, but it is unlikely to be worth the higher rates considering the current cost of fertilizer. Seeding rates for haying or grazing are about 2 bushels per acre, or spring wheat that comes to about 120 pounds per acre. Spring oats also work well with soybeans in regard to MAP and DAP fertilizer. MAP and DAP contain nitrogen that the spring oats need but the soybeans don't, but then supply the phosphorus for the soybeans later. Oats are easily controlled before planting soybeans with glyphosate or glufosinate. One concern with spring oats or any cover crop is herbicide carryover from the seeding summer crop. Herbicides in the trizine family, like atrazine and a few other residual herbicides, can be harmful to spring oats. However, this is more of a concern with fall planted spring oats or cover crops, but it is somewhat limits to early planting spring options. If you have any questions about spring oats or wheat or other cover crops, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Cooper with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, livestock production agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your livestock production agent with the Wildcat Extension District. I've recently had a conversation about reindeer. Of course, being the livestock professional that I am, I had to dig in, and I found some other cool facts. Reindeer are commonly confused with caribou, but the two are only cousins. Reindeer live in herds similar to cattle, up to a few hundred in each one, and in the spring herds occasionally combine. The largest herds are in Russia. These mammals live in the northern stretches of Europe, Asia, and North America. The North Pole is in the middle of the ice-covered Arctic Ocean, a difficult place for animals to travel to. Reindeer and caribou are the only species in which both the males and females have antlers. Interestingly, the mature bulls will shed their antlers in late November and early December, but the cows will keep theirs until they calve in the spring so only the females will have antlers around the time of Christmas deliveries. The antler retention on the cows serves a purpose. Pregnant cows are able to defend their food craters from other reindeer looking for an easy meal. Reindeer can dig craters three foot deep to get to the tasty and nutritious forage under the snow in the northern parts of the world they live in. And since we're discussing reindeer maternal traits, I find it intriguing that this species has the most nutrient dense milk of all land mammals. It's extremely high in fat and protein, enabling calves to develop quickly to follow their roaming mothers. Reindeer are nearly always on the move, searching for forage or shelter or escaping predators. Many species of animals have double layers of hair or feathers for warmth. Reindeer also have this feature with an added bonus. The outer layer contains hollow hairs. This creates a buoyancy for their swimming adventures. Reindeer travel quite a lot in search of food and have large annual migrations. They're great swimmers and can cross wide rivers and lakes. Another neat feature of reindeer is their efficient high step and well-shaped hooves. Reindeer are cloven-hooved like cattle or goats. The hooves are shaped like a snowshoe, enabling the large mammal to move across the massive amounts of snow easily. Their high step allows them to reach over snow drifts and not waste energy trying to push through it. And their hooves also have hairs that extend down and across the pad. These hairs create traction and prevent slips on slick surfaces. Their hooves are also useful as shovels, digging through the snow to find their forages. For more livestock information, give me a call at the LaBette County Extension Office 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent with her report.
2: This is Davin Scrantz, one of the Ag and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension. Wildcat District with your K-State Research and Extension Report. Build your land management and leasing knowledge while networking with other local producers at our upcoming workshop series, The Power of Negotiation and Communication Land Leasing Strategies. Southwind and Wildcat Districts will be hosting this series in Cherokee, Edna, Erie, and Shay every Wednesday evening from January 18th to February 8th from 5.30 to 8.30. The Power of Negotiation and Communication Land Leasing Strategies is a three-state collaboration of Kansas State University, Purdue University, and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Sessions will be held simultaneously at multiple locations in Kansas, Indiana, and Nebraska. Topics covered will include lease agreement basics, landlord-tenant relationships, negotiation and communication skills, and conservation practices. These workshops will help raise your awareness of local land values and cash rental rates, along with the factors that influence them. Whether you are a landowner or a tenant, you'll learn more about the importance of having a written lease, what should be included in it, and how to ensure it is equitable for both parties. You will hear from keynote speakers who will be streamed live to 65 workshop locations across all three states. Each location will also host local speakers and hands-on activities. Attendees will have the chance to ask questions of extension agents while learning negotiation strategies and best practices to improve the landlord-tenant relationship. You will also leave with a greater understanding of conservation programs, including compliance requirements and voluntary programs that are available. The series of four workshops costs $50 per person. Dinner is included each night. A virtual option is available for those unable to attend a workshop location although we highly encourage you to attend in person to be able to better network with other attendees and interact with speakers. Register by January 13th by visiting the Ag Manager website or calling our Altamont office at 620-784-5337. Find more information including the full program agenda and register at agmanager.info slash events and look for the title, The Power of Negotiation and Communication, Land Leasing Strategies for Midwestern Women in Ag. This workshop series is open to both men and women. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strantz with your K-State Research and Extension Report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. After celebrating Christmas and seeing the pine needles on your Christmas tree begin to fall, many people are stuck with a dying tree. What do you do with a slowly dying pine, fir, or spruce? After the holidays, many municipalities allow old Christmas trees to be placed curbside. Trees are then collected by the city and ground up for mulch or burned. If you miss the designated date or your trash collector doesn't accept trees, there are several alternative options to prolong the useful life of the tree. An old Christmas tree can be used to benefit birds, fish, and the landscape by placing it in a corner of your deck and spreading some bird seed nearby, or tying it to a deciduous tree or post near a bird feeder. The birds benefit from having escape cover nearby when hawks or cats threaten, and the dense boughs reduce the effects of wind chill on a cold night. Sinking your Christmas tree into a pond is an easy way to improve fish habitat and fishing. The tree serves as a little coral reef in that the branches provide substrate for water plants to grow and cover for minnows and other forms of small aquatic life. Larger fish are drawn by the shade and the presence of prey. How do you sink a tree? Tie the base to a cinder block with a short stout rope and toss it in. Just be sure to get permission from the pond owner first. Using the little tree around the landscape requires clipping off all of the branches. Use the boughs to add extra insulation around semi-hardy perennials or to trees and shrubs that were recently planted. The leftover trunk may be used as a garden stake next spring, or cut and let it dry for a few weeks and you will have some easy lighting firewood. Just beware that most conifer species tend to spark and pop more than hardwoods, as resin pockets in the wood make tiny explosions when heated. This can delight the youngsters, but for safety's sake, keep an eye on the fire when burning Christmas tree logs. Also, do not transport pine firewood. The pine sawyer beetle can spread pine wilt to susceptible populations through transportation when moved from one place to a place where the pine sawyer beetle is absent. Extension of a Christmas tree's useful life depends on selection when looking for a Christmas tree. Ease of use and length of life are inversely proportional. The bigger trees that are taken early will keep longer because they hold more moisture, but are harder to use once they end up losing a lot of that moisture. If looking for good uses for Christmas trees once they've dried out a little, it might be recommended to pick a smaller tree closer to the holiday season so that less moisture can be lost. Avoiding placing small trees near heat sources like fireplaces, wood-burning stoves, or heat ducts is one way to prolong the life of smaller trees that would otherwise lose moisture very quickly. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.